Hi, precious friends. I'm so glad we could get together today. This is the third lesson in a short series that we're calling Foundations of an Empowered Life. Um, the world today is needing God's power. The church needs God's power. The church needs to be all that God called it to be, to affect a positive difference in the world. And in many cases, <clears throat> God's people have become rather apathetic, um, rather passive, and we've kind of gotten in the habit of just being willing to endure and tolerate um, the sin, the evil that is around us. We've even become easy on sin in the church. And the evil is trying to swallow us. Uh, the Bible tells us that our enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. That means he's looking for lunch and you're it. But then there's another verse, a scripture that I love. It also tells us the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Second Chronicles 16, 9. What is a perfect heart? Can you imagine the eyes of the Lord just roaming around looking for someone where he could show himself strong? At the same time, Satan is looking for someone that he may devour. What a contest. But what is a perfect heart? That's what God's looking for. That's an undivided heart. It's a heart that is completely His, a heart that is loyal to the Lord, devoted to the Lord. And in our first lesson, we looked at brokenness. Brokenness, biblical brokenness, is the surrender of my will to God and to His will. Uh, we use the example of a horse, a thoroughbred, who is broken to submit to the will of his rider so that any gentle movement of the rider can, 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 can make the horse go a different direction because the horse is submissive to that. And so in that brokenness, he is set free to run the race. Whereas before, that power was just out in the wilderness or out in a pasture somewhere, um, not accomplishing much. But once it becomes responsive to the master, it can run the race. When our hearts are yielded to God's will like that, then we are walking in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of Him. It's not to back off and want to run from Him. The fear of the Lord is basically two things. It is to stand in awe of Him and to hate sin, to see sin the way He sees it. If I'm going to stand in awe of God and see sin as He sees it so that I hate it the way He hates it, then I'm going to need to take a long, perpetual gaze at God's holiness. God's holiness. And that's what we're going to look at today for a few minutes. It's quite challenging because it's like you've got a topic that this, that's this big or infinitely big, and we're trying to reduce it to this space. So think with me and let's seek the Lord together. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, please open our minds, 
open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and open our hearts that we may understand what you're saying to us, that we may see the awesomeness of your character and your holiness, and that our hearts might bow in worship and in brokenness and the fear of the Lord so that your holiness might be manifest in our lives and in your church today, that we may make a huge, powerful difference in this sinful world. We pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reverence for God, our standing in awe of Him, is built on our understanding of His holiness. Holiness is not an easy thing to describe. It's not an easy thing to fully understand. I'm not sure we can fully understand it in this life. But we can take what the Lord has given to us and we can use it to learn, to grow in Him. Um, we can never understand the depths of God's love for us until we understand His holiness. Holiness and sin both matter a lot. They matter to God. They matter to our fellowship with God. They matter to our relationship with God. They matter to the power of God that we're able to demonstrate in this world. And so they really matter more than we can imagine. Um, it's not about knowing the definition of holiness. It's not about knowing synonyms about for holiness or facts about holiness in an intellectual way. It's about God's people, those he calls saints or holy ones, um, pursuing holiness. I'm going after it. I'm focused on it. I'm going to try to understand it. I'm going to try to grasp it, it and get it. Now, I'll tell you that holiness is not a hot topic on book lists. Um, you just don't see many book purchases on holiness. I don't recall hearing many messages on holiness. We don't usually give much serious thought to holiness or there's not a lot of discussion about it or we certainly don't usually sit around the dinner table and talk about holiness. We know about the Holy Bible. Uh, we know about Holy Communion. We know about Oh, Holy Night, the great Christmas song that was about the night that Christ was born. We know about the Holy Spirit. But the word holiness might call up some images of just somber, straight-laced people who are uh, dressed in awkward clothes with a joy joyless lifestyle um, based on rules and regulations. Holy. It might cause us to think of something unattainable that we can't get in this world, but maybe we'll get it in the next. Maybe it's something we'll have when we get to heaven. When we think of it in those terms, we might say, well, who wants that? Why, Why would we want holiness? What is there about that that would be desirable to us? Holiness, in fact, is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. And the interesting thing is those in heaven never stop talking about it. Let me show you something. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. When Isaiah saw the Lord 
in the vision that God gave him, watch. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Isaiah's looking on at, at the vision and he describes it. And he says, And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out and the temple was filling with smoke. And so what were the seraphim around the throne crying out? Holy, holy, holy. Well, in Revelation chapter four and verse eight, what is it that the four living creatures never cease to say? Look at it. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So there are many aspects of God's character. We can talk about his wisdom. We can talk about he is loving. We can talk about he is wise. We can talk about he is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is merciful. They're just humongous um, attributes to God's character. But his holiness may be the number one. It may be. Why? Because God has chosen that the seraphim and the living creatures sing and proclaim his holiness all the time, all the time. If all of heaven needs to hear it day and night, do you think that we might need to stop and consider it for a bit to try to understand it, to try to get a glimpse of it? What does holiness really mean? The root of the word holiness means to cut or to separate. It means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different. It means sacred, dedicated, hallowed, sanctified, to be uh, clean, 100% pure. God set apart certain things and places and people for himself. Uh, we read about those in scripture. They were consecrated for his use. Sometimes it was people. Sometimes it was land. Sometimes it was um, vessels, articles that were used in the tabernacle. But they were used for special things. They were set aside for special things. They were not to be used for common ordinary, everyday purposes. Um, you may have some things like that in your house. I know that mother, my mother was, um, was one, she was going to set aside certain things to just be used at certain times for certain occasions. So we kind of have that mindset in us a little bit, but holiness also carries with it a sense of belonging to God. It was set aside because it was God's. It was used at a special time because it was God's and it had to do with God. In the Old Testament, God set apart 
the nation of Israel to be a holy nation. And God separated the Israelites for himself. God looked at Israel. He looked at his chosen people and he said, you are mine. You are mine. They were set apart. They were designated. They were holy. In the New Testament, God set apart a body of believers and called it the church. The Greek term for church is ekklesia, and it means the called out ones, called out from the world, put in a different place, separated from the evil of the world. The second facet of holiness is clean, absolutely pure, free from sin, untouched. And it's hard to imagine that. Um, totally beyond 100% pure. And over and over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus calls believers to a life of purity, which is a call to a life of holiness. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, 548, he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ooh. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22 says, keep yourself pure. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34 says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Separate yourself from sin. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast, cling to that which is good. So understand that holiness is not just for a select few spiritual giants. Um, it is not just for pious people who don't have anything to do every day but sit around and be holy. That's not God's instruction regarding holiness. Holiness is for every believer. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is set aside and designated as holy unto the Lord. Hear me. God is serious about holiness. We need to understand that because we're living in a world that is not serious about holiness. So what's happened? We have drifted away from what God says about holiness, what his expectations are for us as his believers, as his children, what those expe expectations are about holiness. So it is important to realize at this point uh, that God does not command us to do anything without also enabling us to do it. If he tells us to do something, he's going to give us the ability to do it. He's going to make it happen. And so he knows, he knows better than we know that we absolutely cannot, cannot be holy apart from him. He knows that. And so that is why he has made provision for us to overcome sin through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he has given us the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. That is why he has given every believer grace. Grace is the desire and the ability to do God's will. So he has put those things in us. And so that's what it means to be holy. 
the desire and the ability to do God's will, to have our wills bowed to him, to walk in awe of him, to hate sin the way he hates sin. And then we're walking in holiness. Now, the very name of the third person of the Trinity is what? The Holy Spirit. He's not the wise spirit. He's not the loving spirit. He's not the powerful spirit. He is what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He is identical in character with God. He is equal in authority with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is different in function. There's something different that he does that God doesn't do, that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't do. The Holy Spirit does it. And so God has placed within every believer his holiness. He places the Holy Spirit in us. We as believers have been set apart unto God. We have been named holy. We've been named sanctified, set apart, uh, moved away from the sinful world toward God. And so in our brokenness and in our fear of the Lord, we are to walk it out. We walk out the holiness that God has designated to be within us. As, and if, if I, as I yield myself will to him and I stand in awe of him, hating sin, and I respond to that Holy Spirit in me by choosing holiness in my thoughts, in my behavior, in my words, in my actions, and in my attitudes, then the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and He is working in me, and I am walking in my broken spirit in accordance with what He is nudging me to do. I make those choices of holiness and godliness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 say this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness was God's goal in saving us. When God saved us, he, was, he saved us for the purpose of designating us as holy, set apart, sanctified. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul reminds us, listen to this, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's why we were chosen, to be holy and blameless before him. Now, listen, holiness is not a secondary goal. It's not something that, oh, well, we're saved. We live under grace. And so we might, maybe we can get there. Uh-uh. Holiness for God is a primary goal. It is God's supreme purpose for his people, for his children, for believers. It is our individual calling, but it's also our collective calling as the church. In the Bible, we believers are called saints. Um, Paul, in his writings, when he's writing to New Testament churches as saints, uh, literally that means holy ones. And so set apart ones, sanctified ones, we are saints. Understand that sainthood is not something we attain. 
Uh, we don't work toward it. We don't rise up to sainthood. It is the state into which God calls sinners. God takes a sinner. He takes a person who realizes that he is separated from God and God cleanses that sinner with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. He transforms him by giving him a new heart. He places his holiness in him and sets him apart, separates him from sinful things to God. And he lives, the believer lives in that state. It's a state that we live in. If you are a child of God, you have been chosen and set apart as one of his holy people. It's where you dwell. It's a state of being. Now, holiness in the Bible means moral wholeness, moral wholeness. And that's going to include things like kindness and mercy and purity, moral blamelessness and godliness. Scripture refers to the beauty of holiness. Uh, I went through scripture. I was curious to know how many times holiness was mentioned in the Bible. And it was well over 500 times. I didn't write down the number. All I did, I have to do simple things. I took a, a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and everywhere concordance and everywhere it's listed, the word holy is in the Bible. This is a King James uh, concordance. Everywhere holiness is listed, it's, it's going to have the scripture reference. And I just counted them. And they're over 500 times. And what was fascinating to me, even though the whole verse is not there, is just to read down through there and scan how God uses the word holy throughout scripture. But one of the uh, incredible things was how many times scripture refers to the beauty of holiness. It's not something that makes us want to go, ooh. It's not something that's inattainable. It's something that's so beautiful, we fall in love with it. Listen to just a few verses that I jotted down. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11 says, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? That writer is standing in awe of God. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Bring Him an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, And when He had consulted with the people, He appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 29 verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the majesty of holiness. Psalm 47 verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 96, verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The beauty of holiness. Set aside, set apart, and absolutely, impeccably, pristinely 
pure. It's a pure white we can't imagine. Untouched, not a speck of blemish. Perfect, perfect. And so when we begin to gaze on him, we are stunned. We get a glimpse of that. When we read those scriptures and try to imagine in our minds what that looks like, when we look at what the Old Testament says about heaven, what the New Testament says, what the book of Revelation says about heaven, then we see that. We see how it's described for our finite minds because it's an infinite thing that has to be described so that it can be put in our finite minds. Then all of a sudden, we're just stunned. We're awed. We're mesmerized. We don't want to stop looking at it. You've got things in your life like that. Maybe you've seen a, a sunset or a sunrise and and it just takes you, it takes your breath away. So what words then might we associate with holiness? In both the Old and the New Testament, holiness and gladness go hand in hand. Holiness and gladness go together. So, so that thought that we've got in our minds that holiness is gonna make us stiff and never smile and, um, Awkward, uh -uh. holiness and gladness go hand in hand. So to pursue holiness as believers, we're commanded to pursue holiness. And as we do that, we're going to move toward joy. It is a path toward joy and gladness. It's a greater joy than anything we can imagine that the world has to offer. To pursue holiness is to walk in oneness with the Lord. It's to walk in oneness with our heavenly father to relish his presence, to rejoice in his mercy, to know the joy of having clean hands and a pure heart and a clear conscience. And one day to know that we're going to stand before him unashamed because of what he has done in us. And we have been willing then to cooperate with him in what it is he wanted to do. You know, sometimes I can understand a word better if I look at its opposite. And so I looked up the opposite of the word holiness. And the opposite of holiness is profane. Profane. The Hebrew word is described as to wound, to profane means to wound something, to defile it, to pollute it, to stain it. In the New Testament, it is unhallowed. You know how in the Lord's Prayer we say, hallowed be thy name, well profane, the opposite of that is unhallowed. And it also means to pollute or to defile that which is common. Get this, that which lacks all relationship to God. So in our separation, in our separateness of being holy, then we have totally been totally disassociated with anything that has relationship to God. So here comes, here comes the dilemma. So I'm given holiness. And so when I am over here set apart in this environment of holiness and I try to act like that, and there's conflict. 
It's like swimming upstream. It's not in me to do that. Uh, you know, another, another Old Testament uh, synonym was to pierce through. So what happens is when it's profane, uh, there then is this natural antagonism between that which is profane and that which is holy. So there's this antagonism between the two because they don't need to touch. They can't touch. So you see then how out of character it is, it is when a holy person, when a person that God has put holiness into and designated as holy starts to compromise with that. Then it's polluted. When we profane God's name or profane God's character, we're counting it as if it's not holy. We're counting it as if it's common, like it's just according to the way of the world. It's not different from common. Uh, and so we pollute God's holiness. And God is going to act to prevent his name from being profaned or polluted. Um, we must not misuse God's name. We must not desecrate God's name. There are just a couple of examples that <clears throat> just took my heart. They're both in Ezekiel. The first one is Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 26. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel regarding sins of the priests. He said, her priests have done violence to my law. Now God is speaking. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the clean and the unclean. And they will hide their eyes from my Sabbath and I am profaned among them. Then in chapter 39 and verse 7, God speaks again. And my holy name I shall make known in the midst of the people of Israel, in the midst of my people Israel. And I shall not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. I guess we can say there's a time when God says, I've had enough. I'm done with this. Do not profane my name. I guess today in our vernacular, we could say God gets to a place where he says, don't mess with me. He's done with it. He had Israel that he had designated as holy. God is serious about his holiness. He's serious about protecting it. And you know why? Because that's the only way through us that the world is going to see what he's like. If we live like this while calling ourselves holy, then we're telling the world lies about what God is like. We are profaning his name. We are polluting his character. Why would we care about being holy? Why is that important? Why would we say no to our flesh? 
and yes to God over and over and over. Why would, why would we do that? Because the world desperately needs to see what God is like. And I fear that in so many cases in our culture today, with what we see going on in our country, you can't stand back and look and say, oh, that's the church and that's the world because they look alike. And the name, the character, the holiness of God is polluted by his people. How am I going to do it? How am I going to live holy? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Do you ever put um, jigsaw puzzles together? Do you ever buy a jigsaw puzzle and, and you get all the pieces spread out? And what do you do? You look at the picture on the box to see what it's going to look like. And you follow the example of that picture on the box to get to the place where you kind of know where the pieces are going to go and you find the corner pieces and you find the straight edges and all the while you're looking at the picture on the box. That's what we have to do with Jesus. We look at Jesus. He is our example in everything. And to be holy is to be like Jesus. So we can look at him and look at his ways. We can see how he um, gave us a record of what he did, what he thought in scripture. And so we see what his life was like. We see what he did. And so I have to ask myself how my life compares to Jesus. Mm. I made a list of questions. Do I live a life of total dependence on the Father? Do I look to the Father to supply all my needs and to give me direction in all I do? Or am I sometimes looking at God saying, I've got this. I got this figured out. I'll get back with you. Am I fully surrendered to the will of the Father? Jesus was. Do I live to please God rather than men? Do I put others ahead of myself? Am I in submission to human authorities? Do I extend forgiveness to those who have wronged me? Do I speak only the words the Father tells me, speak, tells me to speak? Do I always speak the truth? Do I live a life of praise and thankfulness? Am I bold when I need to be? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? And do I manifest the fruit of the Spirit at all times? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. For me... I go down that list with no, 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 I don't do that. And I'm convicted. The call to holiness is a call to follow Christ. 
if we try to pursue holiness without following Christ, then we're going to become self-righteous. If I think I can do this on my own and it becomes a list of things that I do and don't do, and so I declare my own holiness, uh, it's not that's not going to work. But if I set my eyes on Jesus and I'm like that rider and that racehorse and I'm the horse and the rider on me is telling me, go this way, go that way, stop here, slow down, say this, do that. What does that mean? That means I got to have my focus on him all the time. And I will tell you that's hard because we live in a world of distractions. Whew. It's easy to get distracted. And that's what happens to us. And so no amount of striving or self-effort can make us holy. Can't happen. Only Christ can make us holy. Only Christ. He's given us His holiness. Put it in us as believers, His Holy Spirit indwells us and we appropriate it as our own. God has made me holy. God has said, you are set apart. You are holy. This is declared so you have the position of holiness. I receive it by faith. I receive it because he said so. He said that's the way it is. And so I receive that. But one of the most hardest things to do then is to learn to walk that holiness out, to appropriate that holiness. How am I going to do that? What, what's going to help me do that? You know, the process, um, we are saved at one point in time. We're justified at one point in time. And then there begins a process of sanctification. We are declared holy, but God begins to work in us God begins to work in us that sanctification where we constantly are growing more and more and more and more to be like him. We're becoming more and more sanctified. We're not more holy. We're acting holier. We're acting more in accordance with the holiness that God has put in our lives. And so we're going to receive that by faith. Now, how am I going to do that? One of the most vital agents, one of the best things, the, probably the best thing we can do to participate in our sanctification so that we don't just stop here, but we grow, 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 grow more and more like Christ um, is the Word of God. God's Word. Let me remind you, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer where Jesus prayed for us, He prayed for the church. It's an incredible chapter. And so Jesus prayed, and here's what He prayed for us. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So the more that we are in God's word, the more we receive that word, the more that word takes up residence in us and begins to show in our behavior, then our progress in holiness is moving. And I think it's safe to say that our progress in holiness will always be parallel to our relationship with the Word of God and the time we spend in this Word and our willingness to try to not just know the verse, but do the verse. 
so that we become doers of the word and not hearers only. And what happens in that is that we begin to demonstrate a walk of holiness. And the world begins to see something different in us as believers. As we fix our eyes on Jesus and stay in the word of God, we're going to begin to experience that beautiful, freeing, authentic, inviting holiness that can only come from God. Only God can produce that in us. He's looking for us to cooperate with him in making that happen in our behavior. Holiness, we're, we're commanded in Scripture to pursue holiness. Holiness has got to be our constant aim, our constant ambition. We've got to want to be holy. We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to focus on it. We've got to be intentional about cultivating godliness. We've got to be intentional about asking the question, okay, what would Jesus do? What, was his, what would his attitude be? What would he be saying? And how would he be saying it? We think about it. It occupies our minds. So God has given us. He has declared us holy. If you're a believer, God has called you a saint. He commanded it. He made it happen by the blood of Jesus and putting his Holy Spirit in you. You're a saint. Now, our job is, are we going to act like it? Are we going to show the world what it would be like if Jesus were walking in the flesh on the earth today? Because today we are his flesh. It's up to us for the world to see what God is like. And that holiness has a power. And when we see, when we've had a glimpse of his holiness, and we stand in awe, and we see that perfection in their bright, that brightness, that, that impeccable purity. I'm gonna see my sin. It's gonna be there and I'm gonna see it and I'm gonna want it washed off. I'm gonna want it cleansed. because sin is the competitor of the holiness of God. We'll talk about that next week. God bless you.